Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Agronomist Happy Hour, and we've got a really good one for you here. It is a continuation of Agronomist Happy Hour meets Agronomy Bar and Grill. So we know the last time we met, it was more of a fun conversation and just kind of got caught up in the fun of things. But we really had a purpose when we got together, and so now we're going to attack that. And and really, we want to talk about what's currently happening in the marketplace, if that's fertilizer, crop protection, not really seed, but but the first two. And we're seeing everything kind of really pick up in price. Availability is maybe the best way to say in limbo. We don't know if there's availability or shortages or it's a supply chain issue, whatever it is. But we want to talk through that and, and talk through our ideas, how you can optimize what you're doing next season, but then just talk a little bit about the market too. So maybe this will help everyone think through systematically about what we're dealing with starting right now into the 2022 season. But before we get there, we always have to thank our sponsors. So as always, the music, Darren Wenst, Keith Axman, we're going to keep playing the tunes. I know that those are just placeholder names he gave us, but it's always going to be Rhizome Rock. It's just a rocking tune. It's a good name. And then our friends at FarmQA who are making digital tools for agronomy. So again, if you're looking for something that you want to organize your day, look no further than FarmQA and getting a hold of our friend Benjamin Munson, who is an absolute wealth of knowledge about that tool. And he can help you if you're a consultant, if you're working as a retail consultant, or you're just a farmer that needs detailed information and a way to communicate it out with all parties. FarmQA has a tool that'll help out. So go check them out at farmqa.com, farmqa on Twitter, or just look up Ben Munson on Twitter and you can DM him there or look on their website or in the show notes, you'll find a way to get a hold of Ben. So I'd say let's get back to some podcasting. Oh, and Jason with the other mic, it's a little quiet. Was it? I I never screwed up opening a beer and this, this, this is an indication. You had this beer is. I can just tell you right now. (laughs) You had one job. I have come on. I can't man. believe you're gonna drink the second one if the first one was that bad. It's gonna it's gonna limit me because this is it takes it'll take an hour just to sip this one beer, trust me. But we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, speaking of beer, I've never seen an IPA so dark. I've I've had a couple of these before. That's uh, pretty interesting. So I guess if there's a little nugget for everyone, you just have to listen to the end to really find out what we're drinking. If it's a really terrible IPA or just a off-color, different-looking. Hey, can I do one thing here? Well, I'm gonna anyway. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, so we're at the Fargo uh, Dome and the Northern Ag Expo was there. It was uh, great to bump into a bunch of people. I'm gonna give a shout out to three people that mentioned this podcast, gave ideas. Cody Lee, that was fun. Uh, Mike Van Beek, <laughs> we're sitting at the same table having dinner and getting this conversation. And uh, Calissa Gilbertson. And it took me a while to get the name right, but I got the name right. So thanks for uh, being active listeners and uh, the feedback on this podcast. It helps us out and appreciate it. So thanks so much. And even though I wasn't with you, Jason, just Jason sharing that about the three of you that saw him, found him, or you guys met each other, whatever it was, it makes me super excited that there's people out listening to this that you guys are fans of the podcast. So every little bit of feedback, even though there might not be a comment for everything, or maybe it's just a like button, love hearing that stuff. So yeah, never feel uh, bashful or shy about reaching out or DMing, texting if you know us. 
Yeah, that's that's super awesome to hear. I'm glad you did that. That was uh, the fun part of the show. <laughs> the other part of the show is what we're going to talk about now, <laughs> <laughs> which was the main the main topic at Northern Ag Expo. Is wait, what are you hearing? What's going on? Uh, this is what we see. What do you think is going to happen? And it was all around supply, product availability, pricing, uh, which was kind of an odd. Uh, I don't know if the show's ever been like that before, as far as the topic, but. I don't know what you guys ran into, but that pretty much dominated the conversations I was in. And I think it dominated the conversations of all inputs, whether it was fertilizer or seed, because as you heard growers saying, I'm looking for anything that can help me with a lower input cost. So I'm looking for more canola seed, more sunflower, et cetera. Eventually we're going to tap out that resource. There's there's an infinite supply or there is a finite supply of seed that people are going to be able to get. So I remember when we we've done some things with agronomy bar and grill, we've sent some tweets out and talking about this is like going back to your college classroom days. This isn't the easy button of what we have done. And then you can just roll in and 20 minutes later, be in the field in spring. We really have to be planning for what we do or don't have on hand. And I think the realism of that has started to land in the laps of many and they see that it's, it's true. It's not an, it's not a imaginary shortages. They're really there. Right. It's not the boy who cried wolf anymore because this, this conversation or, or this topic, when do you want to say this felt like it started? It it felt like it started this growing season. There were, it wasn't that there were shortages of anything, but we kept seeing this price increase. I don't think anyone ever experienced a lapse in getting product, but there was a supply chain issue and you kept seeing things like glyphosate ratcheting up. You'd see your growth regulators ratcheting up. Well, just just about everything. And then then the companies that didn't, once we finally got into September and October, they started taking their price increases. And then I don't know how many of those have happened since then, but it seems like everything's just kind of working its way up. And it's hard to say if, if that's a, do they predict that there's going to be issues with transportation to get things there when you need them? Is it a lack of inert ingredients or the, I should say, the raw tech? Is it sitting on a ship somewhere? Is it that China's going to put a bigger tariff on it? Oh, there's there's some unknowns. Or I'm just kind of talking out of the side of my mouth on on some of this. But there, there's a lot of factors at play that are causing this really, really big price increase that we're seeing. And you guys remember what article we were talking about? They were referencing there. Uh, this actually came from Tom Wolf, So from Sprayers 101. Actually put together a really good article that kind of helped preface this and talk through how to optimize spray applications. So I think one thing we're going to do for you guys is if you go on the Agronomist Happy Hour website, you'll see links to that particular article. That'll kind of help paint the picture of maybe where we are in this landscape. But there's there's not just one particular thing that's happening right now that's causing potential shortages or price increases, all that. It's, it's a lot of things. It's supply chain. It's transportation. It's No, and I think sometimes we forget that it's the amount of time that it takes. There are certain inner ingredients or active ingredients that can take up to a year to produce and ship from other parts of the globe and then get them into a formulations plant before they actually get into a jug and moved out to the to the farm. So there's a lead time that's been interrupted for a variety of reasons. Um, probably the first and the biggest one is transportation. Um, I think we all have many examples of where these things are going badly, what's not working to get product where it needs to be. One way that I see companies trying to write that situation is there have been orders and orders and orders rolling in 
on companies for of uh, and crop protection companies for a variety of products. And in some cases, you're seeing the manufacturers cancel orders and then start doing allocations. And the reason they're canceling orders is they're just overinflated. There's this high amount of orders that are out there that the that the manufacturer realizes they can't provide that for the customer. So what they're going to do is cancel out orders, then go back to look at who had orders in the prior year or maybe over a three-year average. And then they're going to start basing the allocation on what was going on previously to get product to the people who have historically used it. It may not sound fair to everybody, but think about it this way. If if you've been the guy in line the longest, you want to make sure that you get your product. So if you've been loyal over the last few years to a certain product line, yeah, your chances of getting volume are higher. And if, if I can, um, you know, I think, I think Bridget, to your point, it's, it's really interesting to note that that is true. If you're a farmer, that's true. If you're a retailer and it's true, if you're a distributor, it goes all the way up the chain, as far as the the loyalty component of the whole thing. Um, you know, the, the customers who have been really good customers to a certain product lineup or, or to a certain retailer, if you've been a really good customer, you know, and, and sitting in line, you're, you're probably going to be the guy that's going to get taken care of first. And the pricing of crops is to a point where it's uh, you have some people that are committed, but they're leaving some acres open as well. When we're at the egg show and the topic of flax comes up and most everybody, my experience with flax is that I'll never grow flax again. That sounds well, it's right. 30, it's, 33, <laughs> it's 33 bucks a bushel, baby you're going to grow some flax. Oh, so yeah. 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 In, in one breath, you say, I'll never grow that again, but I could be bought. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at that bushel price. Sure. Yeah. That, that sounds <laughs> lucrative. If you can produce some decent flax. Don't, don't mind me over here. I'm just bringing up the farm's crop rotation for next year, seeing where I can fit that in. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. We heard the yellow mustard uh, back when was even well, it's uh, nothing like growing a, a weed on the farm, though. Those guys that had uh, went uh, hit some home runs this year, where they put in uh, a large amount percent of their acres to sunflowers. It was a sunflower type year, just crushed it out of the park. So there's there's interest in that. Yeah, yellow mustard, uh, field peas, uh, just different things that could change it up. Our our residual nitrogen that we have are, is going to change our rotations around quite a bit, I think. And so people are just trying to get a plan put together. I was, you know, if you've, uh, if you've heard these terms in the last, um, however long I was, I was thinking back to your question. I think there was probably one product that was just short to begin with this summer. That was Husky FX because it was a, a certain amount, but I think it was probably August or September when this started, because that's when I remember starting to text my growers, like you need to start finding this. So these are the words that don't mean anything this year. Uh, it's booked, it's spoken for, it's been prepaid, it's paid for, I got you covered, and we should have it. That don't mean nothing. You have to have physical possession of it in order for it to happen. That's that's a great point to bring up because one one unique thing about the state we live in is that you were saying it earlier, Jason, is how many different crops can a North Dakota farmer grow? Now, not every farmer is going to grow every crop, but I bet you on average, a farmer in North Dakota grows four to five crops. And then depending on where you are within the respective North Dakota geographies, that crop mix changes. And, and there's a lot of things that can affect what you choose, what markets you have access to, maybe who you've been working with on a commodity buying aspect, all that. But now there's this 
this whole thing you're looking at. We haven't even talked about the fertilizer thing, but you brought up the soil test thing. You know, we've talked about this before. You have high soil nitrates in, in your soil profile, so you want to take advantage of that because of the high fertilizer prices. So you try to throw your rotation around, but then you're trying to go into some other crops that maybe don't require as much fertilizer. But, but this whole crop protection thing lays in a whole new layer. Are you able to get your first choices that you need? I kind of wanted to go off of what you guys are saying. Um, you know, Jason, you brought up some really interesting points about words that don't mean anything this year. Like it's prepaid, it's booked. I got you covered, all of those things. Um, I bet you I am having at least two to three conversations a week with different people about being covered on certain products and 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 farmers believing that they are are truly taken care of with with having that product um and of course it depends upon the crop but there's certainly certain certain active ingredients out there that um at least the recommendation that i'm giving is oh and they have the that herbicide in their shed right now and that's why they think they're going to have that as an option and then the conversation goes on and it's no they don't they don't actually have that in their shed but they paid for it and i said well that doesn't mean anything then that doesn't mean anything unless it's actually in that farmer's shed. You don't really have it. And, and I don't, I, I also do want to defend the retailers from the standpoint that they are doing the best that they can. But I think historically there's been a lot of times in our industry where, where um, maybe we've run short on a product here or there, but I don't think it's ever been to this, to the level where we're at. And I, and I think a lot of the farmers still think that this is, this is something that is, is not quite as big of a deal as what we're making it out to be. Um, when in fact, I, I do think we're actually facing something here that we don't really understand because we're in winter. This isn't the time of the year when we deal with it. Um, and, and I think it's a bigger issue than, than what it really is. And I do want to talk about the residual nitrogen here, but if we want to keep passion herbicides, we can keep doing that for a little bit. But. Well, there's something to be said for a bidding war. I think that um, other countries, and then that starts in the fertilizer front, other countries are bidding hard to take fertilizer production to the active markets. That'll likely be a similar case when it comes to herbicides, is wanting things to go to an active market. I found it interesting. This is the most often I've been called and asked about storage temperatures on a product. I think because there's a plethora of farmers who are taking things home, putting them in their shops or in, in barns somewhere based on what they know about how to store them. And I think that's a good thing to have them at the farm. Then you know you have it in possession. For those who are retailers who are saying, I don't want my farmers to take stuff out of here yet. I'm curious as to know why. Um, if I were sending, if I'm a retailer and I'm sending things out to the farm, I would make sure that I am labeling those boxes that they came from me. So if there's a question of a return later or something, we know where that came from. Or I would talk about what my return policy might be with some of these folks because there's some high dollar things that are going to go out the door that if they don't get applied, what's the end result after that? And that, that's probably a huge fear for a lot of retailers is I took all this stuff. I paid a high price for it. Now I'm stuck with a high price inventory. What do I do? The other thing that people should probably think about with herbicides next spring, if they are taking them on their farm, especially and storing them over winter, um, there's a number of different um, herbicides that we use that actually have more than one active ingredient in them. And so sometimes they just naturally separate a little bit. 
in storage. And so you may want to make sure that you're in good communication with your retailer next spring about recirculating and making sure that that gets handled properly. It is not a big deal. Okay. It's not a big deal. It's only a big deal. If you don't, um, if you don't, uh, take, take care of it properly in the spring of the year, I've, I've done it a lot on, on our own farm, uh, and it's no big deal, but you just, you have to make sure that, that you do it. Um, and it's a good communication thing between the retailer and it's a good communication thing back from the farmer. Um, so just, just one thing to think about with that. No, that's a, that's a wonderful point. Matter of fact, I've not with crop protection products, but with other products I've dealt with bulk tanks, or I should say totes. So your, your cubes, your 275 gallon tanks where product has separated, where you have the, the active separates from the formula formulated stuff. So you, you have some potential issues there, but usually it's not a big deal. If you see that it's happened, they generally mix back in. And this is where you just keep tight with your retailer and they help you through those things. You know, these, these are the realities of taking possession of things over winter and mm-hmm. sitting on them for a few months. And retailers do that all the time. They're, you know, they're, they're used lot, to that game. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of corn herbicide that's already sitting in sheds that was brought in in June, July, August of 21. That's anticipated to be sprayed in the 22 season. So it's already there. And you're exactly right, Kyle. Recirculation, we're used to, you know, we plan for that in a retail setting. So it's just time that at, at a grower level, we make sure we do a good job of that too. And just be aware of the fact that it happens because the the worst case scenario is one of the four of us end up walking fields because something didn't perform correctly and going to find out, you know, what was done was, oh, okay, it's just this one particular tote of this product that, or, or jugs of this product that sat and you notice a bunch of sediment on the bottom or you had a heavier sludge material and you didn't. Mm-hmm. You didn't shake the jug or you didn't agitate or recirculate a bigger tank. And that could have taken care of all the problems. If I could ask something of crop consultants, if you are talking to your retail, your, your growers and they're bringing stuff out to the farm, talk to them about storing it. Talk to them about what temperatures, what matters, when stuff's got to be recirculated. You can really help spread that message. No, I feel like uh, we've had to worry about that freezing temp though, right? I mean, it's just been kind of abnormally warm. <laughs> coming in the first couple of days of December already. But I hope that uh, on our show notes, one of the things that we have access to was uh, at uh, probably one of the more well-attended sessions at the Ag Expo was Josh Linville mm-hmm. talking about uh, fertilizer. His presentation was supposed to be in a PDF form. Uh, hopefully uh, North Dakota Ag Association can post that to their website. But uh, that was probably the most information that I've received in a one hour talk in a very long time that, that he knows his stuff up one side and down the other inside out and backwards. And uh, I, I think the reason he didn't have any questions is he was that thorough. It was, it was actually really good as to how this started. And I believe most of it probably in his mind started with uh, the big windstorm in Iowa. That was the beginning yeah. of this whole event. Yeah, because yeah. that wasn't just one black swan event. We're now working with a whole flock here, guys. There's, uh, there's a lot. We're referring to the derecho that happened yes. in 2020, or yeah, was that 2019? 2020. No, it was August of 2020. Yeah, that was the that was the beginning, and then it was you got hurricane in there, and you got tariffs, and you got import stuff, and natural gas pricing, and yeah, it was it's kind of crazy. So hopefully that if we can't do it this episode we'll do it at some point just so you got the link because it's and if you're probably yeah, subscribed to their newsletter you're you're getting that information anyway but you know we've some people 
Um, I was, was going to say we've we've talked about it a little bit on here, but the but the levels of the soil nitrate that that are out there and, and just trying to make good agronomic decisions concerning you know soil fertility practices going forward. Um, uh, I know anybody who does any soil testing out there is probably really sick of soil testing at this point in time, but I can tell you. That- <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll there is giving us a little bit of a look of yes, he is definitely done soil sampling for the year. Well, maybe not, but um four, four fields to go and they might I, I was wondering what the count was. <laughs> yeah, it's down to four. I just have one guy left, but he's just the last guy, and that's they're all his fields. So I know two of them are off at least. Let's hope the rest of them are off. But the good news is is that means rock and roll probably has a room for a few more fields after he gets done with those four and the ground isn't so uh, frozen yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can tell you what rock and roll is going to do. And ain't going to be doing with any more of that shit. That's for sure. I'm, I started in August. So I went on my, uh, my, uh, so when I'm in the dome, I got to watch my step count. I, you know, 5,000 step down concrete for me is not a good day. I was pretty close the first day. And I went through on my months and really low August, but September was lower than August. October was lower than September. November was lower step count than October because I'm in my truck the whole time. So this season starts in August and now we're into December. So it's, it's, it takes that long. But I think one of the questions, I think I passed it on to you, Bridget, when you're hosting Ag Mafia that week was somebody had asked, Hey, I got these high residual, uh, nitrate amounts do you believe that number or should i just put some on anyway and kind of you know not go off the recommendation and my response to that is well so a high number you don't believe but a low number you do (laughs) i mean it's just a number right and there are implications as to where it's stratified and your depth and all that but i've i've retested fields and i'm always within 10 pounds of the initial test result unless i got into a spot and stuck them in her pile or something that was not supposed to be there. But usually if you're making a legitimate run at taking a true randomized composite soil sample, you're going to run into the same results. The only time I've ever seen where, you know, someone's like, ah, I don't trust those results. You know, something goofy happens and that's why you retest, you know, like, Hey, maybe I didn't know there's manure spread in a certain part or there's a feed lot here. Or once finally you get the employee that doesn't soil sample as much and they make a small loop into the approach and just go poke, 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 <laughs> and then grab what they need and go. You know, usually that's not the problem. Everyone's usually doing the right job, but. Right. And I've gotten frustrated in the past with getting, you know, in a field here or there with exceptionally high, high um, tests or something that I think might be an outlier, but um, then I would usually freak out and go back and, and do all this retesting. And, and it was a waste of my time to go and do that because it's just like Jason said, it usually comes back pretty well right within spec. But here's the other thing to realize on this year in particular with all of these high nitrate tests, you're not alone. There are so many people who are coming back with nitrogen tests that are, that are high, that it's not, it's not just you. It, it really is. It really is what's going on after the drought. Um, and certainly we're seeing that behind certain crops more than other crops. Um, I actually really am encouraging a lot of people to, to continue to try to do soil testing behind their corn crop this year. And I know that's, that's probably, uh, it'd be interesting to know how many, how many soil tests egg vice usually runs behind corn. Cause you know, normally we're just rotating right to soybeans and people will kind of skip that, that soil test, but this is the year when it's a good, good idea to, to consider doing that because you're going to want to watch those nitrogen levels for, 
iron chlorosis, possibly even um, nodulation issues in the in the upper six inches if you've got high nitrogen in those in the top six inches. So I mean, there's there's some things to watch there. And besides that, if you've got all that nitrogen there, maybe that is the time and place where you you think about your crop rotation and and think about planting something else in there. So um, just there's there's ideas there to toss around, I guess. I expect to see more canola seeded on the canola uh, corn ground this year because of that. Which my my concern with that is is if I if I run into low temps and frosts, I always have the, my biggest issues on my heavy residue fields, and corn is one of them. So that's that's always my concern uh, right there. But that's yeah, it is fairly common. I had one of my farmers down at the egg show talk to John Lee at Ag Vice, and that was he had the same question that I got posed to me. So it's going to change a, a few things, which is I. That is to me way easier to work around and explain. We might have a couple glitches here where we got maybe some beans on beans. I don't necessarily like that, but I, I to put corn onto soybeans that well, I'm down to 19 pounds of N versus corn going into wheat ground that's got 95, and then I don't want my soybeans there because I might get IDC. That's that's kind of easier to manage around versus this unknown right now of more supply of products because I've got I've got a plan for my guys. And I kind of want to make sure that is dialed in because I, I want to see three quarters of an inch of rain after I get my plan pre's on this year. So I've got two thoughts to follow up on that. One is the crop rotation to your wheat, soybeans, corn, canola, all that. I will say some of the best corn I've ever seen is on wheat stubble. And so I think part of that is a, is a water use thing throughout the season. Wheat is done using water. A lot earlier in the season than soybeans. It might have more residue. It might have cooler soil. But I think there's also something biologically that happens there. Like I said, some of the best corn I've seen comes off of wheat stubble. So I wouldn't be afraid of that rotation. I wouldn't I wouldn't get thrown off by that. That that mm-hmm. to me sounds more normal. Now I see the fear behind putting canola on corn stalks, but I also see that get done a lot, especially as you travel southwest. And and frost could be a concern, but that's just uh, something you deal with. But uh, I was thinking more on, Sarah, maybe your area. Because I know Jason's area, my area, maybe have a lot more flexibility in rotation. I'm curious about when you're seeing highest soil nitrates in the valley and you're, uh, and you're trying to utilize those soil nitrates, what are, what are you trying to suggest? Are, are, are there any audibles getting thrown into this mix? Well, so first of all, especially in my backyard here where, with sugar production, uh, if the sugar beet guys, I sure hope pulled four four foot samples this year because um, the, you know this the levels that we are seeing nitrate and and you know even some of the wheat ground that we had over here was testing higher for for nitrogen levels than what we would normally see and so I certainly hope the sugar beet growers are are looking at that and those guys are usually pretty they they usually watch their nitrogen pretty close anyway but if they don't. If, if, if they're not watching that, that can mess up the sugar content in the, in the beets. So, so I do hope that that's going on. Um, we don't have quite as many, uh, or quite as, uh, many crop rotation options over here. And yet at the same time, I don't know, uh, and I don't know if this is going to get too far off of your question or not for, for talking about, about this, but, um, I think guys are going to set up a standard crop rotation um, over here, which is going to probably include some dry beans in, in some spots, uh, um, corn and soybeans and wheat, of course, those big three, sugar beets and sunflowers. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if we see some sunflowers going on corn ground. Um, I definitely think that's a possibility, um, especially with these high nitrogen um, fields. It makes perfect sense to do that. Um, but I also am starting, I think the nitrogen prices, the fertilizer prices on a whole are making farmers a little bit nervous about their crop rotation for next year. And I definitely think some of the nitrogen using um, crops are going to take a hit. Um, I've had conversations with that already this week where, where corn acres are, are kind of taking a hit. So, um, and, and in those scenarios too, I know the commodity markets are all over the place. Um, but if we are in an inflationary period, it's, it's all about the margin of difference. Uh, you know, what's, what's the margin opportunity there to, to make money. Uh, I know personally, I get a little nervous as well, because as the, these fertilizer prices go up, the, the risk is it gets, gets pretty, pretty scary from a, from a farmer's perspective too. Um, so I think, I think crop rotation planning right now is really a unique place considering years compared to years past. Um, first of all, the fertilizer prices, I do think farmers are planning around a, a little bit around herbicides to, if they really realize what the logistics are or the availabilities are. And then the other thing that I think has changed, at least over here from 2018 19 and 2020 one of the things that we as farmers have learned is that you 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 don't necessarily have to make all of your decisions right now at this point in time in the years past due to wet conditions commodity markets whatever farmers have pushed off their crop rotation planning until even march goodness gracious spring of 2020 i i know for some of the clients that i was working with that year i had five different soil test recommendations for one field because it was can i plant this should i plant it and what do i do so i i think there's going to be a little bit of a plan out there and i think it's going to change over the year to the farmers and the agronomists out there considering the logistics that we've got i'm going to encourage everybody to try to make as much of a plan as you possibly can right now do the best you can it will probably change by the time we get into the field but starting with a plan will get you much further ahead than just throwing your hands up and hoping for the best that's that's an excellent point having a plan is a huge huge piece of the puzzle it doesn't mean you have to follow the plan but if you don't have a plan and then shit goes haywire. How, how the hell do yeah. you manage to that? And isn't we have that, all talked about that so often. Isn't that the premise of this podcast? <laughs> oh, different topic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah just hit the punchline there. It was perfect. So when you, when you brought up that soybean thing, right? Fertilizer prices. Fertilizer prices have, you, hear, you heard more talk on soybeans. One of the questions that was asked there was this buzz is what is going to happen with this dicamba registration, that was one of the things at the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the amount of kosher that was out there this past year and this fall and is still out there, I'm, I'm very concerned. Now, can I manage around if it goes to no over the top? Yes. But there's some people that that doesn't fit into their, they're not planning. So that, that's their plan is they were just going to do what we did the time before and it might have to change. To that point, And with kosher in particular, um, so one of the things that's happened in the extent system over the last few years, there, there's a number of places where the dicamba is getting sprayed on the soybeans almost as an early post application or like a pre, and then people are depending on that dicamba, um, you know, for the, for the residual, uh, component. Okay. Right, wrong, or indifferent. I see that a lot in practice out in the field. And then in those extent systems, they're kind of, um, 
kosha is still coming up and there's still issues with kosha out there and what i'm hearing in the countryside is that everyone is going to be depending on the post liberty application in and to itself to be the savior for kosha i'll leave that there have fun go for it guys well we knew we would get on this topic eventually on on let's just call it glufosinate because liberty liberty being the biggest brand but there's generics that are out there i i hope everybody listening is well aware i know on the retail end you are i really hope on the consultant end you are and i really hope on the farmer end you are and if you're not you're going to know right now is that if if you have the plan of growing extend flex beans and having all the liberty you need you're living in a fantasy world that's just not going to happen without getting into detailed information it's it's just plain out liberty's hard or glufosinate is not an easy product to make and they can't make it very fast. And then you start layering in all the things that are happening logistically. You know, how much AI is still sitting in ships? How fast can that get to manufacturing plants that are in the States? And then once it's made, how fast can it actually get to a retailer's warehouse that can get into your farm shed, into your sprayer in the field? That's that's going to be the problem. And this is, this is a known issue. And, and that's the reason why everything's going up in price. But, but glufosinate is probably the number one issue. I know for a fact that glufosinate is getting, if you, if you look at the market, the, the name brand glufosinate that's out there, they're also the same name brand that have the straight Liberty Link crops. So canola and cotton. There's a vow there to make sure that those acres are covered first before it hits to the extent flex market in soybeans. Not saying that's how it's exactly going to happen, because I'm sure that there'll be liberty that goes to the extend flex market. But you look at Invigor Canola. They don't have other options. It doesn't. My biggest worry this next year. It doesn't. I would too. It doesn't exist. And then our friends in the South that have cotton, ask cotton growers, what are their alternatives? If, you know, if they're, they, they already know glyphosate's, a major control issue for a lot of crops for Palmer amaranth. I, I believe the the same is to be said with the growth regulators. And so now Liberty is kind of where they're at. I, if they don't have conventional chemistry that can help them out there. So, so that's where I see the majority of the glufosinate getting focused on if you're a canola grower or a cotton grower. But I don't think that necessarily means if you grow one of those two crops, you're covered either because there's still this logistical thing that plays into it. How long did that stuff sit in a ship? Sit in a harbor. How long is it going to take to get trucked? I mean, there, there's all this stuff happening that's affecting the way trucking rates, uh, you know, what, what, what they charge. How fast can truckers move stuff? How fast can manufacturing move? You know, every time we hear about a new variant of the coronavirus, how that could possibly shut down operations. I mean, there's so much that's out of our hands that's in the bigger picture that plays into how slow this can move. So maybe within the year 2022... They can hit potentially 100% of our needs, but was it when you needed it? And I I think one of the things I'm, I'm hearing you say is, um, as you're planning, you, there could be some changes in what we're doing for rotations. There's a lot of uncontrollables. I really think we have to go back to planning like it's a conventional crop. We have yes. to have, if there's an option that you can get glufosinate or glyphosate and you have that particular trait, great. But you really have to plan like it's a conventional crop right now. And what do you use in a conventional crop in every situation? A pre-emerge. 
thank you so much. I'm out of here. It's been nice meeting with you folks. <laughs> Great. So, so before, before we get in the pre-merge topic, because I, I think I want to paint the picture this way, the conversation I get into almost daily right now, and I know, Bridget, you're saying the same thing because we've talked about this earlier, is that with all the glyphosate-resistant weeds that exist, I think we're losing focus that glyphosate is only good for grass. And so I hear a lot of conversation about switching out of expensive glyphosate because it, it constantly is going up in price and it's and it's being spot priced. So it's not until it's delivered, it's priced. Mm-hmm. But they're they're talking about like quizalifop, so like your your Assure Two or generics, uh, your Clethidim, so select or the five hundred thousand other generics that are out there. But it's your group one mode of action grass chemistry that everyone's using as a roundup corn grass killer that's that's what they're looking at replacing that with and then tank mixing that with a growth regulator that they can use in soybeans or going the conventional route in corn uh, those directions so if you if you choose to go the conventional route or or a new age conventional route because conventional route in soybeans would not be Clethodim plus 2,4-D or Clethodim plus dicamba. That's not conventional. That's still that's still using the traded beans uh, to your advantage. But there's there's a lot of implications involved with that, and I think you're going to find out that there's a lot of broadleaf weeds still that glyphosate's taken care of. Yeah, and especially if glyphosate's a fifteen dollar an acre treatment, which it currently is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to remember why we use it in specific places and we'd be strategic about it at 15 bucks an acre. What are we going to add to supplement it in with some of those tougher to control or resistant weeds? We can still do that. Um, weed control won't be, won't be easy. It won't be um, just a slam dunk this year, but we can do it. That's, that's probably the thing that we need people to keep in mind the most. It can be done. And this is where the pre's get involved in. I'm going to make, I'm, I'm still circling around to that. I'm going a long way around this. And so I know when you tank mix these group one grass chemistries with broadleaf herbicides, well, just using that grass one or group one grass chemistry in general, there, there's a lot you need to know on what makes those products tick as far as spray quality, water volume used, adjuvants. And the really big kicker is what you're tank mixing it with. You can really affect the grass control on that. And so without diving into deeper details on that, I want to make one shout out to Kyle Gustafson. It's Agronomy Jacks on Twitter. Currently this week, he's been putting out some absolutely kick-ass information around. Yeah, yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, he's been putting out awesome information. So if there's a Twitter account to follow, if you don't follow him, or by the time you're listening to this, just look up Agronomy Jacks or, or Kyle Gustafson. You're going to find his tweets, and this will help speed you up on how to optimize and he's specifically speaking to Clethidim, but how to optimize the applications there. He's he's a huge follow, in my opinion, on that. When he posts stuff, outside of his uh, funny, snarky things, you know, when he comments on things, because that, that part's fun, too, in my opinion. When it yeah. comes to agronomics, man, does he post some awesome, awesome stuff. So to this topic, go look for that. But no, when you start tank mixing things with Clethidim, outside of the whole spray quality, water volume, and adjuvants talk, when you start tank mixing things, you antagonize grass control. And there's a huge part that's only one part of the puzzle on why pre's are important. But as as everyone's looking at reducing glyphosate or removing glyphosate and putting these group one grass products in place with other broadleaf chemistries, that grass control component is going to be harder to do than you think. And that pre-emerge is going to be so, so important mm-hmm. to be leaning on. It's the absolute foundation of what you have to be doing in order to be successful this coming season. 
So yes, hosting Egg Mafia this week, I got asked what's good kosher control in dryable beans. And I still said, Sonalan. I know not everybody appreciates that because you got to do some incorporation, but it works. Can I use a pro tail to incorporate my Sonalan? Only if you're... Only if you're Larry Lender. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of shout outs. Did, <laughs> didn't didn't you guys make a dig on Larry the last time we recorded? With a shovel we did. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Poor Larry. Oh gosh. So so this whole the whole pre thing, right? I I know if I got edible beans, I'm putting a pre on. If I got sunflowers, you gotta do that. Uh, it's gonna become doubly important. Now I'll go back to this Liberty Link Canola thing. I know uh, it started out this way. If you book your seed, we're going to cover you on Liberty. Okay. It's now gone to, you might want to find your Liberty wherever you can get it. So if the goal is to cover the acres that absolutely need to be covered. Now think about if you're trying to raise extend flex soybeans, that's, that's the, that's the benchmark that I'm using there. I don't have a registered pre that I can use in that scenario. I have decent moisture right now. I'm going to have early weed emergence come next spring already guaranteed compared to last year at this time, this thing's going to come a lot sooner than it did last year for the, for the desire of some of these products. I, I, I'm going to use a lot more Metribuzin. I'm going to use more, a lot more atrazine and not to put the dig on anybody, but there's already been changes that I know Bridget we've discussed before the podcast that have come through your, your phone as a text that were talked about at the ag expo that are now different. And it's been at 20, 48 hours. It was the first yes. day. Yes. Within 48 hours, the stuff that we were presented is null and void because there's products that are, I mean, so let's just throw down. Um, my concern is I, I'm going to need, uh, I have a couple of farms that I'm going to need some sharpen real bad. Um, I'm going all pre's on my corn. I need some atrazine. I need some metribuzin, but I think other products are going to get in there. Well, I mean, just, what have we been hearing as far as things that are, there's some names that haven't been said in a long time that are now getting said, right? Well, right. Especially in the corn world, right? That That's the one that's really getting me planning conventionally to control weeds and corn. So what's the, what's the hardest thing to control in a corn crop? If you're going to go pure conventional grass, grass, yeah. yeah, so that's going to bring up a very particular line of SUs, right? Steadfast. Well, um, there's a whole pile. You've got well, yeah. Two. There's a whole. I mean, there's there's all, all the cues. All the cues. <laughs> all the cues are going to fit there. Um, and and those products got to be dusted off and brought back out. I mean, everybody's got a little inventory somewhere. So it's but it's time to think those outside of box methods. If if I could add one thing. You know, we've talked about all these different crops. We've talked about pre-emerges. We've talked about how the supply chain is changing. Uh, We've talked about trying to come up with a plan. Um, And I know, oh, Jason, you and I probably talked about this probably even a year ago. But one of the things that I had kind of done in my private consulting um, a while ago was I had actually gone to a thing where I... I would sit down with my growers in the wintertime and come up with an entire herbicide plan for their farm based on the weeds that we knew were in their fields. You know, there were certain weeds that we knew, things like water hemp, that you needed to make sure that you controlled um, before they emerge, really. I mean, you have to have your your pre-emerges and your residuals out there for water hemp to keep them in check. So then you really want to have that herbicide program almost in place before you even get to the field. So I had actually done a lot of Uh, herbicide planning for growers before we ever even got out to the field. 
it was, it wasn't a hard and fast thing that you would hold on to. You could always amend it based on your crop scouting if something weird popped up, but at least it was a place to start. And at least it was a place that you could work with your retailer on making sure that you had supply at that point in time. So now in this scenario, you can go through and think about your pre-emerges and, 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 you know, all of these different products that we're, that we're talking about, try to work with your retailer, try to work with your agronomist. And when plan A doesn't come together, then you can go to plan B. And by the way, with residuals, sometimes you got to watch that rotational restriction. Having that whole crop plan up there with your herbicides, that can help you kind of think through those things a little bit and, and think about what, what you're going to try to plant on there next year or what what did you use last year for residuals before you get too hog wild planting, um, planting something out there that shouldn't be there for rotational restrictions. Making a herbicide plan is such a huge thing. And I, I even reverse to even last year the year before where we're not even concerned about the availability or the price issues but just having a a herbicide plan on crop or having just an inventory of what you've used in the past is such a huge piece to this because we're dealing with glyphosate resistant weeds and well i shouldn't even say just glyphosate we're dealing with herbicide resistant weeds now it's not just any weeds and and when you take an inventory of what you've used it helps you understand to why maybe you deal with certain herbicide issues where you're like, yeah, you know what? I just don't see the foxtail control with, with uh, Quizalifop like I used to. Or, yeah, I know Roundup's not doing the job on certain weeds. Or, unfortunately for some, yeah, Dicamba's not taking care of kosher like I'd like it to. So, so just having an inventory to know what you've been doing and know where you're at and then making that plan, like like you're saying, Sarah, these plans aren't set in stone, but once you develop a plan and you know what your rotation restrictions are, you know where your flexibility is, then then when the other audibles start coming in, it's easier to start adjusting because you know where you're at. There's going to be a lot of audibles this year, guys. It, yeah, just, it's just unavoidable. Unavoidable. I think that's the case. It's going to be... <laughs> It will be an oof tomato. There's no doubt about it. But it's going to be the absolute greatest year to be an agronomist in the history of agronomy, in my opinion. I'm serious. I agree. And I know why. Maybe maybe on a job security side of things, but it might be a little stressful too. (laughs) Well, you can consider it stressful, but this is the moment you've trained for. (laughs) Well, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Job security. No, I'm not worried about that. It, it, to me, it's the biggest, one of the biggest challenges we've, we're ever going to face. And that is, so you just have to rise to the occasion, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's no different than, do you want to, do you want to beat somebody in your conference in football or do you want to beat your rival on the last game of the season to get to the playoffs? Every day, all day long. That's my right. answer. Yes. <laughs> it's that, it's that type of thing to me. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you've got all the other challenges, but let's take it. Hey, Jason, I, I don't want to take us off topic here again because uh, I was getting all, all riled up to go for the big W, but I got, I got to ask you a weeds question, and it goes to your, to your, to your pre-emerge conversation. So, uh, so help me out. In soybeans, what's the best way to take care of kosha? Oh, come on. You got to have something harder than that. <laughs> come on, you got to say it. The best active ingredient six years in a row still to this day, I'll go in the future, is sulfentrazone. Absolutely is. Are you saying that you need to use a pre-emerge herbicide if you want uh, to get kosher? Well, let's let's look. There was a lot of people who didn't last year because they felt that it was um, too dry, right? And now mm-hmm. this year we've got moisture, mm-hmm. so we we have a much better chance. I know we're going to have more emergence 
earlier with that. I am big supporter of that active ingredient. I had good luck last year, even in the dry conditions, and we'll continue to do that because it lessens the stress on how much dicamba in my extend beans I have to spray to the point where it's it's 80% reduction if you go based on a rate over acres, even, even last year. Things so. are just so much more manageable with the pre. You, you know, you, you're keeping your weed size down. So if you have escapes, you can get back in there with something at a post application. There's just a lot of things that you're able to do with that pre that gives you some flexibility. And I was told this week at the egg show that we have farmers that felt their weed control was so good with dicamba and enlist that they weren't using pre's. They were walking away from it. There's already discussion about documented resistance to dicamba in the state of Illinois. Not using pre's just brings that whole wrath of hell on all of us faster. We can't do that. We have to do a better job. I wasn't trying to beat a dead horse, but uh, I I feel a little a little uh, passionate about people using pre's, especially when it comes to tough control weeds like water hemp and kosher. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're absolutely. Big, your two biggest product uh, things they talk about are glufosinate and glyphosate as as the the major issues. They're all post. So how do you take the pressure off those products? You know, we're already we're already hearing pressure on all of the group 15 uh, lay-by products, metallochlors, uh, outlooks, uh, things like that. So there's going to be this somewhat of a spillover effect because if I if I can't if I'm limited in the amount of gallons or it's a price point, look how much volunteer wheat we had and stuff this last year. You imagine having corn with all that volunteer wheat if you're going to do your corn on wheat, Kyle. You know what I mean? Right. How does it does it take a lot of glyphosate to kill that stuff? No, but there's a, a tremendous amount of pressure. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's products that can, it, it's not, cereals and wild oats are really tough to control with pre-emerged products that are out there, but it will slow it down to the point where you might not need the rates you've been using if you've got possession of that stuff. You can do something else. So that, that's part of the plan that you should need to talk about. Holy buckets, I'm only like two-thirds of the way through this beer. This is usually, <laughs> usually I'm like into my third beer already, you know? It's just the way I do it when I podcast. But It's the seriousness of this conversation, Jason. That's what's doing it. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I hate to do this, but I got I to gotta rock. Um, it, But it would be more fun to hang out with you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on with you today. Really appreciate it. We understand duty calls. <laughs> yeah, this, this group is always a good time. There's no doubt. Before you, before you bail on us, what are you drinking today? <laughs> did, did you really want me to tell you? Well, I know it's not a grain belt, so I'm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we have to know now. Yeah, the grain belts okay. are still at my house. Well, so I'm. I yeah. Oh, I forgot them there, didn't I? Dang. Yep. Um, I hope Brandy likes grain belt. Um, anyway. Um, so I. It's it's kind of before noon here and stuff like that when we started. So it's a little early in the day for me and I still got to go and do some driving around the countryside yet. So I'm actually drinking a Dr. Pepper and cream soda and it is amazing. If you haven't tried that blend of Dr. Pepper with cream soda, I highly recommend it. (laughs) I I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) If you can't get a premium grain belt, well, Dr. Pepper and cream soda, it's pretty pretty close except not really that's that sounds a lot of sugar and even for me to say that's a lot of sugar Whew. it's almost like you were hoping you'd get one crop protection product but you couldn't so you settled for this one and now you're putting on a smiley face for me <laughs> oh boy <laughs> oh well if you like it that's what you like that's okay 
Mm-hmm. Yep. It's better than drinking a bad beer. Tell me oh. about it. Oh. Debatable. Debatable. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Debatable. True. True. Just takes longer. That's all. Well, thank you guys. I, I appreciate it. It's been really great to be here. Love these conversations. It's super fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Right. We'll see you. See you, Sarah. And as we continue talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still drink the bad beer. Yeah, Just saying. <laughs> Nothing yeah. wrong with that. It's all good. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting show. There's just a lot of things that come in. Uh, I think the the thing that is most people thrown off is just the speed of change that this is is coming and things that you know you you always go somewhere and they always have something. And this just in time inventory thing, I think, is caught up with this as well uh, right. as an industry. So, but uh, so I'm I'm yeah, I'm doing the same thing. We're writing down uh, lists. We're coming up with a plan. Uh, there might be some changes to our rotation, mm-hmm. but uh, we're looking, I think overall people are fairly positive. Yes, the fertilizer thing is not fun, but uh, most people realize that's the biggest and best investment, in my opinion. That's where most of the yield comes from. Everything else, I'm just protecting it. And it's it's higher amount, but we're actually, we're fairly fortunate that we ended up with the crop we did considering the, the dryness, but we did get this higher residual in. That's going to be a benefit uh, in some scenarios, and we have moisture, and our prices are halfway decent. So hey, that's uh, if we if we were bone dry, and hey, there's still places like that. I mean, western part of the state, northeast Montana, there's still places like that. Yeah, there's still places that haven't picked up the moisture that many others did, and they're going to just work through it the best they can. It is December first. It is thirty six degrees for me or no it's not the first it's the second and it's 36 degrees so that tells me that um that if i if, if it's this nice here it's nice somewhere else they're maybe do not I, getting moisture yet do i dare tell you how warm it is here i bet it's like uh, okay it's not there. it's it well it was almost 70 yesterday yeah. but but it's uh turns out it's only gonna hit 51 today Okay, this this is really nice weather. That's great. But again, what is that? How does that affect us? Yes, for the coming season, mm-hmm. we don't know that yet. Right, right. Another the the it's big another, another another day of shorts wearing is all I know. That's all I care about. <laughs> no, you showed up at at the show wearing pants, and there was a lot of people that were stunned and amazed. By the way, yeah, maybe I, I partially brought... disappointed. <laughs> so? That was that's what it was. They were yeah. I, I made sure that John Lee. Uh, he was the one that just gave me the hardest time, but <laughs> I, I decided to, no, I'm going to, I'm going to hand out business cards. I'm going to go talk to people. I'm going to promote agronomy on ice, do all that stuff, better wear pants. And people are like, what the heck are do, you doing? Do here? you do, does everyone hear this? Jason Hansen wearing pants means he's serious. Yeah. It, that's voluntarily <laughs> wearing pants, mind you. Yeah. Pretty stunning. But it was the second day I wore shorts again, felt much better. It was it was uh, time to, I left early though. I got my stuff done. I was kind of out of there by one thirty, something like that. So and that, it's been one of those weeks. I get it. Yep. It has been. There's a lot going lot, on. Um, there has been a lot going on this week. So. And, and that was something that I posted on Ag Mafia. So what do people want to see at trade shows, right? Um, what do they want to see different? We all know that Agronomy on Ice is a very different trade show, but that's not going to be a trade show for everyone. So when you think about things like the Northern Ag Expo, or if you go to Husker Harvest Days, uh, Farm Progress, Sioux Falls Farm Show, why do you go? What do you do there? What, is, what's your, what do you plan to accomplish? And I'm curious to see what people will respond back about. Have you gotten any responses? I've gotten a couple. Right now, 
it's mostly focused on, they like the networking and the social aspect of it. And if we could do North Dakota pesticide recertification in a bar with drinks, they'd appreciate that. But <laughs> I don't think state extension is going to allow it. No, I, they, I, they, I feel like can't. Andrew with, with maybe a Ludafisk or Lefsa or something like that, he'd be okay, but the line might be drawn at Vakwater. It was outside the box that he let me present with him. That was a great deal. That's awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. So that was one step in a different direction, you could say. It is, uh, it's a younger industry. Uh, things have changed. Uh, I think you have to market to people and have interests that they have. And so you... We're we're always in a rut of we just well let's put something together and they'll have to come to it and there probably has to be more feedback as to what people want to see and and some of it's probably information overload too. Well, I mean, and and as the industry gets younger, I mean, I, I'm not going to point anything out, but I'm definitely closer to the younger side of the industry or the average. Well, I don't think I'm towards the average, but but anyways, as we get younger, the the information how it gets conveyed is totally different, and so farm shows have to come out different, right? Mm-hmm. To, to hit really every do. aspect. Yep. yep. And, so it has to be an evolving thing. Yeah. Well, because the things that were cool 25 years ago, well, that's all moved on. So what are we going to do different? Just like, what are you going to do different in your weed control for 2022? Exactly. And so that's actually a good segue to kind of wrap this up. Cause I know we've already gone over the hour mark. Okay. But, but the big thing is, well, actually the kind of whole premise of this is to have a plan to plan ahead and know that there's going to be audibles out there. And we spent a lot of time, talking about planning conventionally planning that that the absolute worst case scenario is you're going to have to spray your crops conventionally and i'm speaking to the glyphosate glufosinate and and growth regulator tolerant stuff but know that you're you're all going to have glyphosate still it's just going to be more expensive so you you know we may not have been hitting this mark as much is that we're assuming that you're not going to use it at all likely what's going to happen is you're going to use a very reduced amount of it and so there's one thing I'm going to leave it at this. This could be another topic and and another guest on the podcast. But I highly suggest I'm going to leave a link on the website. It's the only place you're going to find it, on the agronomisthappyhour.com. And it comes from the CPDA. So many of you have never heard of that organization. That is the Council of Producers and Distributors of Agrotechnology. And so those are your ag distribution people that are in the industry that are basic in adjuvants or sell adjuvants and that is a voluntary program so not everybody that sells adjuvants is part of this organization it's uh it's similar to some other things that are out there in the industry like i know ag pilots there's a big voluntary organization so they can be better at application technology and all that too but not every egg pilot needs to be part of that i i'm hoping that one of these pilots will speak up to us and explain what that organization is but I know that exists too. So anyways, this is on the adjuvant side of things. And it is a talk that it, Rich Zollinger and Greg Kruger. So anyone in North Dakota knows Rich Zollinger, Dr. Rich Zollinger. He was NDSU's state weed scientist and for, for many years. And now it's been Joe Eichley for the last three or four years. And Joe's been great. But Rich came on to talk on this because he is a, a very, very good wealth of knowledge on adjuvants. And then Greg Kruger, who works for BASF now, was a UNL faculty member, and his specialty is in spray application technology. And so they got a roughly a, a one-hour presentation that goes through adjuvants and spray technology and how to optimize your glyphosate performance for this next season, knowing that you're going to be using less of it. So I highly suggest 
It's, it's very technical, but it's extremely insightful. I suggest you listen to that. The link will be on the website. It'll be under this episode. So with, with that, we still, this is happy hour. We got to talk about drinking a little bit. We got to talk about beer. I like that we just have to talk about drinking. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, we, ha- we have to center back to this. This is, this is like the catalyst in a lot of conversation. <laughs> Good way to look at it, yes. So I'm more curious, Jason, about your absolutely terrible beer. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh, I, I don't, I'm halfway done uh, with this and it's a 12 ounce. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think how you pronounce this is Aloha Hop, like Aloha. Okay. Yep. Lexington Brewing Company. And it's an IPA at six and a half percent volume. Uh, and it's the combination of hops. It's Simcoe, Calypso, Comet, and Amarillo. And it's a very, I don't know how to describe it, tart. But it is not. It's not a hazy. It's not a juicy. It's uh, it's it's really different, and it's. Uh, I have to sip it because it's. I don't know. It's just. It's just. Any other things that you, you eat or drink that just the taste does not agree with your palate, and that that is this. Kind of like Nutella on Lefsa. <laughs> Easy. I thought that was an okay thing. I I only make that dig because either you are a lover or a hater. <laughs> I know, and I think we know which side I'm on. It wasn't. So it wasn't bad, in my opinion. It wasn't bad. Well, but. yeah, it's not traditional, but it's not the worst thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I talked to my friend Ed Nesheim last night. You know what he put on his when he was that how you mustard. Oh my god! What? What's yeah. he no, you don't take something that tr- should yeah. should be sweet and put Lessa. mustard and on mustard. your lips. That doesn't seem right. And put mustard on everything. That's how he's, he said, that's how my mom got me to eat all kinds of stuff. You just put mustard on it. And he says, I love mustard. So we, I put it on left even. His mom is weird. <laughs> I'm just saying that. That's not a, yeah, they, they had Advent service. So they were, they made a stew last night. So that was, we were talking about food. He didn't that, season uh, with mustard, did he? No, there wasn't. And okay. they made this. Uh, I just had to bring that up. Yeah. No, it was just different. I don't know. But yeah, this is uh, really different. Uh, I've had, uh, it's probably the worst IPA that's ever touched my lips. <laughs> <laughs> Still better than a Dr. Pepper cream ale or cream, well, cream soda. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I'd be, I'd be choosing Sarah's on this one. I'm still going to drink it. We're, we're going to be 50-50 on this, so. Well, we'll just leave it at that. But this is uh, okay. actually a, a good segue into the beer I picked. And Jason, you've actually had this before. These were remnant beers from uh, a couple of weeks ago when we went down to Iowa and visited our farm for profit friends, uh, yeah. Corey and Tanner and Dave. Uh, so it, this is from Drecker Brewing. It's called Whisper Scream, and it's classified as a Nordic IPA. And so it has all kinds of different things in it, but what classifies it as a Nordic IPA is that it has Scandinavian yeast in it. And so it's uh, uh, Kevik. I'm probably really butchering that. But it's the type of yeast they're using, and then maybe maybe the hops too. Yeah, I believe the hops too. There's a, there's some hops that I look pretty Scandinavian. I won't be able to pronounce that are in there. But, but I've seen uh, there's Drecker has made... This Scandinavian IPA or a Nordic IPA, and I believe DCR Brewing has a Nordic uh, farmhouse ale. So everyone's kind of going after this uh, Scandinavian, you know, heritage everyone has in the area. 
That's why but, we're still going to dominate the food war at uh, Ground Nice. <laughs> you can talk big all you want. I've already got a plan with your wife, so don't you worry. It's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. And I like the fact that you just so, said that so calmly, so that now I am a little worried. <laughs> yeah, I'm so nonchalant. That's exactly right. You should yeah. always be worried at that point. Just yeah. blowing it right up. Well, that's okay. There'll be lots of good stuff, good food fare from everybody. No, that'll it'll definitely be fun. So hopefully we see everyone at Agronomy and Ice. I mean, if you haven't think- heard enough about it from a, a previous episode or all the social media traffic, or the social media traffic could probably see after you hear this exactly i really think that um, we've been we've been generating a bunch and it's not going to slow down so i think that everybody should be pretty excited about what's about to come it's going to be a fun time and so i I think that's a good ending note for the podcast so for that we're going to say cheers and we'll catch you guys next week on the agronomist happy hour